Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. My name is AJ Catucci. I'm just uh, honored to be here. I've been up here about three times in the last couple years or so. Um, a little bit about me, for those of you who don't know me, never seen me before. I'm from Grace Church in Southern Pines. So if you go down south a little bit, we're right around the Pinehurst area. I've been working there now for about four years. I'm the recently um, promoted to the executive pastor position, so I oversee the operations, finance, facilities, kind of all the back workings uh, of the church. Um, I've got my beautiful wife here, uh, Ashley. We've been married just over a year, just celebrated our one-year anniversary. So we're just enjoying some, some family time. Yeah. Um, but uh, it is an honor, really, to be able to um, have the pulpit, especially on Pastor Willie's first day uh, back from being out. And I just want to just honor Pastor Willie. You guys have a, a pastor here that, um, you know, I've, I, I haven't spent much time with him, but the time I can tell, a humble man of God, uh, integrity. I mean, everything you would want in a pastor cares about his church. Um, so you guys have a, I mean, you've got a diamond uh, in Pastor Willie, and it's just, uh, like I said, it's an honor to be here. So uh, we're going to go in, and we're going to eat this morning from the Word of God. I hope you all ha- came hungry today. Uh, but let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive in. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this, this time, God. It is, uh, God, it is just a privilege to come together and worship you. Father, we don't take that for granted. Uh, Father, we, God, love to sing to you. We love to sing praises to you, Father, and worship in spirit and truth. And Father, I pray this morning as we open your word, Father, your word that brings life to dead souls, Father, your word that God can literally change people. Father, I pray this morning, Father, your word would go out in power, it would go out in accuracy, Father, and it would be accompanied by your spirit, Father. God, we are dependent upon your spirit this morning, Father, because we don't want to hear information, God. We want to be transformed by your word so that when we leave these four walls, God, when we go to work tomorrow morning, Father, God, that our lives would be different. Father, that we would look more like Jesus, Father, after we, God, come together today. So, Father, would you have your way this morning? God, have your way with your word. Have your way with your people. Father, I pray, God, that, um, God, this would bring glory to you, Father, and it would, uh, God, it would transform all of us, Father, from glory to glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you have your uh, Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Acts, the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 26, Um, so this is kind of towards the right half of your Bible. Uh, It is right after after the four four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it basically details uh, the start of the church. So we're going to be uh, towards the back of that book, Acts chapter 26. So oftentimes when, I, uh, when I'm getting ready to preach a message, whether it's here uh, or back home at Grace Church, uh, I'll, I always have this thought that goes through my mind. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, if Jesus Christ, in all of his glory, were to walk through the back doors of the church, come up here, you know, get behind the pulpit with his sandals and his, and his robe on, what would he say? What would Jesus Christ preach on a Sunday morning? I, I often think about that when I'm praying for a message because I asked God, God, I just want to, I want to speak what Jesus would speak. Nothing more and nothing less. And if you look at the, the four Gospels, which have Jesus' re- recorded words, right, in the red letters, if you look at those four Gospels, Jesus spoke a lot of words, thousands of them that we actually have recorded. But there was one word, one 
word that Jesus chose to begin His preaching ministry. Now this one word, it wasn't just the first word He spoke to the church, but this one word actually represents the last theme in the book of Revelation that He spoke to five of the seven churches. So I believe if Jesus were to walk into a lot of churches right now across this country, maybe even the world, this might be His message because it was the message that we have recorded in Scripture, perhaps His most prominent one. And, uh, and that word this morning, church, is, is repent. It is repent. Now, I know which a lot of you are thinking because I thought of it too. When you hear this word, right? when you hear the word repent, what comes, what comes to your mind when you hear this word? I'm sure you already have some, some emotions stirring. Right? When most people hear this word, there are usually negative connotations associated with it. Right? You might think of a guy saying, repent, repent. You might think of the old Baptist preacher up here standing, turn or burn, right? who's slamming on this message of repentance. Or maybe you associate it with feelings of guilt or remorse or sorrow or conviction. But if we look at Scripture we're going to find something that couldn't be further from the truth. And I, I believe with all my heart that the enemy of the church, Satan, has not only silenced a lot of preaching on this important topic, but he's also confused a ton of people about what it actually means. And so I pray this morning that I might be able to shed some light based on the Word of God on what this ever so important topic means right now for us Now, Jesus preached this, but he wasn't the only one. This was the central theme of preaching from Paul the Apostle. The central theme of preaching from Peter at Pentecost. The central theme of preaching from John the Baptist. The central theme of preaching from the prophets in the Old Testament. So, this wasn't just one man. It was one after another, after another, after another. And if you walk it through the thread of the Scriptures, you're going to see this constantly repeated. The Scriptures itself even say and testify that repentance is the first foundational stone of any believer's walk with Christ. Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So the writer of Hebrews says the first foundation, if you're going to be a believer in Jesus Christ, is repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Now, before we go ahead and dive into Acts, I just want to, I want to start off with a simple working definition of repentance so it, it, can, it can help filter as we read this story. Now, the Bible was given to us in two languages. You may or may not know this. Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Right? Most of you probably don't know Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. Most of you probably don't know that language. Maybe we have some Bible scholars in here that study the original languages. But if we look at how the word is used in the Old Testament, how it's used in the New Testament, we're going to get a complete picture of what repentance actually means. In the Old Testament, the word repentance literally means to turn. So for those military folks in here, think of when your commander, you are marching, and he says, about turn. That means you literally turn and you start walking in a completely opposite direction. It means a 180-degree shift completely into a new direction. That's, 
That's what the Hebrew word means for, for repentance, to turn. Now the Greeks, they were a little bit more philosophical. They were thinkers, right? They, they, they like to, they, they to think, think from a big picture about what words meant. So they define repentance in the Greek as to change how you think. Now if we put those two definitions together, to change how I think and to change how I live, we're going to get a picture of repentance. Repentance is a Godward change of mind that leads to a Godward change of life. Now, this makes sense, right? Because I can't change my life until I first change how I think. Let me give you an example. I like to um, work out. I like to play sports. I like to be active. Now, it had to first start with a change in my mind about how I thought about my fitness or my health. I had to have a change of thinking that, okay, I need to take care of myself. I need to take care of my body that God has given me. So therefore, my thinking determined my lifestyle. It determined why I like to work out, why I like to play sports, why I like to be active. The same is true when it comes to our walk with Christ. We have to have a change of mind before we're ever going to start changing our lifestyle, changing our habits, changing our pattern of life. And this is what we're going to see in Acts 26. And my prayer this morning is that for some of you, that God might change your mind today. He literally might change your worldview about how you're seeing people, about how you see sin, about how you see God. Because true repentance has to start with a shift in our thinking. Because then when our mind is changed, I guarantee it will result in a change in your life. So Acts chapter 26 a little bit of background behind this. We find uh, the Apostle Paul. Now, you might know about Paul. He was a, he was a basically super saint, um, if you might want to call him that. Uh, and he, he, in this passage, he is, he's a follower of Jesus. Now, he wasn't always a follower of Jesus. In fact, Paul was the complete opposite. He was a destroyer of Jesus' followers. But in this passage, he's going to recount his conversion, or he's going to tell how Jesus met him and changed his life. And he's talking to a king. His name's King Agrippa. Now this guy is not a Christian. This guy is evil. This guy doesn't have, he doesn't have a changed mind. But what Paul's going to do, he's going to try to convince this king to become a Christian. So let's start here. Acts 26, I'm going to start in verse 9. And I think they're going to have it up on the screens here as well. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Okay, so this is Paul's life before Jesus. He was a bad dude, just to say the least. However, I don't think we can necessarily blame all of this on Paul. If we move back up to verses 4 and 5, we're going to see why Paul lived this way. It was because he had a worldview about Jesus' followers. Paul was raised in what was called the Pharisaic tradition, meaning he was taught certain principles about God, certain principles about men, 
certain principles about religion that literally shaped what, what he was doing. Verse 4 and 5 says, My manner of life from my youth, right from a child, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. So everyone knew about Paul. They, in verse 5, they had known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. So Paul is saying to the king, they, they all know my past. They know what I was raised as. They know how my thinking was shaped. And this is where I might tell you this morning that um, the same is true for us. The, you know the books you read? Uh, the people that you let speak into your life? The music you listen to? The podcasts you enjoy? The preaching you listen to? They all shape how you think. They all shape what's called your worldview. And this is why what you let shape your thinking is so absolutely crucial. If you let junk come into your mind, it's going to shape how you live your life. This is why I encourage people, make sure that your thinking is being shaped by the Word of God. That it's not being shaped, you know, by pop music. It's not being shaped right, by, really, by, by pagan tradition. That it's being shaped by God Himself. That's, that's what, who we want to shape our mind. Because we're going to see it changes how we act. Now Paul is, he's killing people. He's killing Christians. But the funny thing is, here's, here's the interesting thing. Verse 9, Paul said, I was convinced. I was convinced that what I was doing was the right thing. Now think about this. Paul's going about his way and he's rallying up Christians, throwing them in jail. And in his mind, he's saying, man, I'm, I'm doing awesome. Hey God, Man, am I doing great? All these stupid Jesus followers, I'm rallying them up and throwing them in prison. In Paul's mind, he thought he, was, he thought he was good to go. He wasn't even aware that what he was doing was wrong. And a lot of, some of you came in here this morning convinced that maybe what you're doing this morning, maybe even just coming to church is putting you in right standing with God. Maybe you're convinced that your lifestyle is, is pleasing to God when it may not be. There are some things that we become convinced about that we get blind to. However, here's the however, but God, in His grace and in His mercy, can open our eyes. He can open our eyes to see. And He's going to do it with Paul. Let's see, verse 12. Paul says, in this connection... I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. So Paul was on his way to do more of this bad stuff that he thought was good stuff. Verse 13, At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now church, we're going to see an important biblical truth here. Please, listen carefully. Paul was going on his way to rile up more Christians, persecute them, maybe kill them. Paul had no intention that day of meeting Jesus. 
But Jesus had every intention of meeting Paul that day on the road. Paul had no desire to meet Jesus. None. In fact, just the opposite. Jesus had every intention and desire to meet that man on that road that day. Maybe you came in here this Sunday morning thinking, I'm going to slide right through another church service. I got no intention of meeting Jesus in here. I'm just coming. Somebody pulled me into church today. Well, my parents dragged me here. But let me tell you, as you hear the Word of God, as you hear praises to Him, He has every intention of meeting you this morning. Every intention. Why? Because He has so much grace. Because if God did not initiate anything, all of us, every single one of us, would be burning forever in a place that is awful. But God, out of His mercy, as He did with Paul, wants to meet somebody here today. He wants to step in and confront you where you're at. He might want to confront sin in your life. He might want to confront you because you don't know Him yet. Just as He does with Paul here. Now, what's interesting, and when I first read this, I didn't understand it because I'm not a farmer, but Jesus said, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, I don't know if we have any farmers in here, but an ox goad is basically a long stick with a point on the end. And what ox goads are used for is the farmer who's behind the cattle who's plowing would use the ox goad to prick the cattle to get them moving. Now what Jesus is saying, He's saying, Paul, I don't know why you're kicking against the ox goad. Right? Because a cattle that kicks against the ox goad, they can't go anywhere. They're just hurting themselves. Now in the NLT, it actually says, Paul, why are you resisting my will? Now I wish somebody would have taught me this from an early age. If God has called you to be a son or daughter of His and you keep resisting it, you're just hurting yourself because you can't outrun the call of God. Can I tell you that this morning? If you're trying to outrun the call of God on your life, maybe you know that He's calling you to surrender to Him. Maybe you walked in here this morning and you're just just living a lukewarm Christian life, not really in, but not really out. You know, you come to church, you know, you do the Christian thing, but you're not really sold out to Jesus. But He's called you. The more you resist, the more you're going to keep hurting yourself. Because let me tell you, Jesus isn't going to let go of the cattle prod. He's not going to let go of it. Thank God He doesn't. Right? He will, Guys, He he will call us until we surrender. Doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. Man, I wish somebody would have taught me this lesson. Or I may may, have read this verse when I was younger. Because I thought, uh, I'll choose Jesus when I want to how I want to. <laughs> Jesus chooses us when He wants to and how He wants to. And, and church, this morning, I pray that you would hear that. Please, don't delay, because you're just going to hurt yourself like Paul was the more you resist. And I often say, if you knew who you were running away from, you wouldn't want to run, run away from them. If you knew who you were trying to resist, you wouldn't want to resist them. This is a God who gave everything. He put His money where His mouth was, church. He sent His one and only Son and slaughtered Him on a beam of wood. 
so that He might save those who were rebelling against Him, like me. This is the God who's trying to capture your heart. This is the God who's trying to show you the plans He has for your life. It's a good God, like Pastor Willie said. He is a good, good, good God. He's perfect in all of His ways. So God initiates Paul on the road to Damascus. Now here's the first thing we're going to see about repentance. There has to be a confrontation. There has to be a confrontation. And we know that God initiates that confrontation. Now, I don't know about you, I don't like conflict. In fact, I, I have a tendency, and it's not a good tendency, to avoid conflict. I don't like to get in arguments. I don't like to be confronted. But Jesus, out of His mercy on that day, confronted Paul. Now, He's going to confront all of us. We're not going to be able to go to heaven one day and say, I didn't know you were real. I didn't know that was bad. I didn't know. Jesus said, I gave you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. I confronted you, son, daughter. I confronted you in love and in grace and in mercy because he doesn't doesn't want us to walk in, in darkness and in death and in sin. So he confronts us out of his great love for us. And after he does this, interesting what Paul says in verse 15. And I said, who are you, Lord? Paul knew exactly who that was on that road. He said, who are you, Lord? He recognized who Jesus was. He recognized this was the Lord. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Usually after God confronts you, He's going to reveal to you who He is. Now this happened for me. October 8th of 2013. From the time I can remember, maybe second or third grade, I grew up going to a Bible-believing, Spirit-filled church. I heard messages constantly that were biblical, that were full of truth. And God confronted me many times. I mean, there were situations I got myself involved in in life where I knew just through God and His Spirit that He was confronting me, trying to turn me and grant me repentance. But I, I kept, like Paul, I was kicking against that goad. I was kicking against that cattle prod because I did not want to turn until October 8, 2013 came. In another one of those confrontations, I was in my apartment. I can remember it like it's yesterday. On my knees, the Word of God opened on my bed. I said, God, there's got to be more than this. And He said, there is, son. And He revealed Himself to me. In Revelation 3.16, He said, So because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And I can tell you, that put the fear of God in me, but it also brought freedom to me. Because not only did God reveal where I was, He revealed where He wanted me to be. He said, I don't want you to be lukewarm. Actually, lukewarm people, I, I, I don't want anything to do. I want you to be on fire for me. And so God has put a ministry in my heart to speak to the lukewarm. Just like he puts a ministry in Paul's heart here in the rest of this passage. I want you to see what happens. After Jesus reveals himself to Paul, verse 16, he says, But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. 
So Jesus is going to give us direction to Paul. And he says, I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus was sending Paul right back to the profile of a person he once was. Isn't that amazing? Paul was the one blinded by Satan. Paul was the one that was a Jew. Jesus says, Paul, I'm going to save you and now I'm going to send you back to that person you once were. Now guys, you ha- each, each of you in this room has a past with things that you've struggled with. With things that have maybe separated you from God. But what God wants to do, He wants to save you and then send you back to that place you once were. For me, my ministry, like I said, is to the lukewarm. Because that's who I once was. Paul's ministry was to the Jews, like he once was, that were blinded, like he once was, from the true gospel, like he once was. If we read the rest of the New Testament, we're going to see every city Paul goes into. You know the first place he went? The first place that Paul would go to when he arrived in a new city to plant a church? Anyone know where he went? The synagogue. Where, who was in the synagogue? Jews that were blinded to the truth of Jesus Christ. And it says time after time, Paul went to the synagogue and he reasoned from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ and many were converted. Church, let me tell you, God has a ministry prepared for you. But it's first going to take surrender. Because you can't free someone from something you're not first freed from. And there's hope in that. I would not think I'd be up here this morning having a ministry such as this. I mean, I used to be a golf pro. I mean, my, 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 my career was going to be in golf, playing professionally, teaching professionally. This was not in mind. Right? But Jesus got a hold of me and said, no, AJ, this is, get up. This is why I've appeared to you. This is why I've revealed myself to you. So you can go and minister to those people who you once were. And there are people out there that need, they need, God wants to use you to free them. There are people, do you know there are people that only you can reach? And I, don't, I mean that with all my heart. There are certain people I cannot reach that you can and vice versa. And God wants to use you as that vessel. Now, if you choose to turn away, God will get His work done. I don't want to make mistake that, but He wants to involve you in the process. That's the joy of laboring with Christ. Now, the last part we're going to see is true biblical repentance. Remember, we said true biblical repentance is a Godward change of mind that leads to a Godward change of life. Now, there's many people that come to church, and I thank God they come, but they think that, oh, I felt sorry about my sin. And they leave, I've repented. Or, oh, I came up to the altar and I cried with the prayer minister. And then I went on my way, and I've repented. But let me tell you, unless your life is different, you have not repented. How do we know Paul actually repented? Well, let's, let's see. 
Verse 19, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Verse 20, But I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. How do we know Paul repented? The same place he was going to lock up Christians, Damascus, was the first place he went to preach the gospel. If that's not a changed life, I don't know what is. The same guy that was going to kill Christians turned and began to preach the message he was trying to destroy. That is repentance. Now, you know, I, I, I see this. In fact, it's, it's, it's rare, rarer to see true repentance now because I think we've mistaked it for a certain emotion or a certain feeling. But it, it, it could involve that, but it, until the life is transformed, there has been no repentance. And this is, I think, such an important message because let me tell you, to be a follower of Christ, it's not a one-ingredient formula. It's not a one-ingredient recipe. And many people think, well, I believe. Well, can I tell you something, church? The demons believe. But demons don't repent. They don't change their life. You can believe in doctrine. You can believe in the song we sing. But until your life is actually changed, there has been no biblical repentance, which is required for salvation. It's a two-ingredient formula. Right? All of, all of the preachers in the New Testament said repent and then believe. It's like if you try to bake a cake with the wrong ingredient, you're not going to get a cake. In fact, my wife and I did this. We're, we were making pancakes one morning and, uh, you know, we tried to make them from scratch, which didn't work out. But, you know, we put in flour uh, and vanilla and then we missed a key ingredient, baking soda. And so we tried to make a pancake and we were missing a, 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 a key ingredient and so we make these pancakes, we put them, and we start eating them. And I take a bite, and it's like Play-Doh goo inside. I'm like, what is this? Right? It, it, because we were missing a crucial ingredient to a pancake. That wasn't a pancake. Just as a disciple who hasn't repented is not a disciple of Jesus. So I, I pray you would hear that this morning. Paul's life changed to a, such a radical degree that people knew it. Guys, if you've repented, people will know it. People will know it. They will say, well, why do you why do you do that? Why do you talk like that? Why do you act like that? It's going to be visible. There's going to be life change. I know on that night, October 8, 2013, I said, God, okay, I'm done being lukewarm. But my repentance wasn't proven until I started going back to my same job and I just felt the fire of God come in to start praying for people. I started sharing Scripture with people. People started looking at me like, what are you doing? You're in a pro shop at a golf course. Why are you praying for people? Why are you, why are you sharing Scripture? You know, what, why do you keep going to church all the time? Why do you keep talking about God? There was a visible transformation. Now, I'm not saying that, man, if you get saved, that means you're going to go out and start preaching. But a lot of times it might. It might. And I think there is, <clears throat> I think there's some people in here today that, that never have actually truly repented. 
unto salvation. And God this morning is wanting to grant you that. By His grace and mercy, saying, come to me, lay down your rights. Let me be your King and your Lord. Surrender all to me. Everything. Everything. Because I gave everything for you. If that's you in here this morning, I pray the Spirit of God would draw you to the Father right now. And that it would result in a transformed life forever. And maybe you came in here this morning and you're walking with Jesus. Right? And you are, man, you, you are loving God with everything you've got within you. And you think, well, this message isn't for me. I've already repented. But I, I did that. Well, repentance is not just a one-time decision, church. Repentance is a lifestyle. And there are things that the Lord might be highlighting to you this morning. And I, and I can tell you one of the major ones, because it's what Jesus preached to the churches in Revelation, one of the major sins that He called the church to repent from was sexual immorality. One of the major sins plaguing churches across this country, not just 2,000 years ago, was sexual immorality. Maybe you're struggling this morning. You are a follower of Christ. You're saying, man, I, I can't stop looking at pornography. Man, I, I can't stop looking at other women. Maybe... Maybe you're committing adultery right now and you're saying, I love the Lord, but man, I, I, I'm walking in blatant sin. God is calling you this morning to turn from that. By His grace and mercy, He's calling you back to Himself. Because it's a lifestyle. I know my, my wife and I, we just celebrated our one year anniversary and we were out at dinner and we each asked each other, what's one thing I could do to help love you better in this next year of marriage? And my wife shared something with me that I kind of thought I was doing, but when she really said it, just was like, mm. I mean, it, it, it was a good hurt, but it was a revelation to me that, man, I need, to, I need to repent from the ways I'm not loving my wife and in turn not loving God. But how my wife is going to know I've actually repented is that I changed the way I actually love her. I can't just say it. Guys, you can't just say you love God. It's got to be walked out, church. So whatever, whatever, that, whatever the Lord's ministering to you this morning, whatever that's a sin pattern, maybe you've got a spirit of complacency on you and you're just walking, kind of just going through the motions. You tell the Lord's calling you to repent from that this morning. I don't, I don't know this flock. I don't know you guys like Pastor Willie does, but the Lord does. And the Lord knows what's going on in your heart and you can't hide that from Him this morning. So... I'm going to call the um, prayer ministers up to the front. And if there are things that you need to confess, perhaps to one of these altar ministers, and prayer to ask the Lord to grant you repentance and free you from these things, then, then, then I'd ask if you would just come forward this morning. There's no shame in this. There's no guilt. There's freedom right now. There is freedom in this. So let me, let, me, let me do this. Let me pray uh, over you guys. And then we'll just have, a, just have a time for ministry for a little bit. Father God, I thank You so much that You are good. Father, I thank You that You choose. That You choose us, God. I thank You that You choose us, God. God, because if You didn't, God, we'd be hopeless and lost forever. 
Father, I pray for those in here, God, that have never, that have never truly surrendered their life to You this morning. Spirit, I pray that You would penetrate their hearts today. Father, that today would be the day of salvation for them. God, that they would start a new life with Jesus. That their old life would be gone and their new life would begin right now. Father, they would fall madly in love with You, Father. God, they would fall madly in love with Your Word, Father, and fall madly in love with Your mission, Father, and fall madly in love with Your kingdom today. Father, they would not wait. Father, they would not presume upon Your great patience and kindness, Father. Because Your Word says if we do that, we're actually storing up wrath for ourselves. Father, I pray people would not wait today, Father. God, if they are trying to push You off, God, I pray they would realize that if You've called them, they're just kicking against that goad. They're just kicking against Your will, God. Lord, and I, I pray for those who are part of Your church, God. I pray for the brothers and sisters in this room, Father, that are struggling, God, with sexual sin, Father. God, I pray for the brothers and sisters in this room that are struggling, Father, with, with any sins that are separating them from You. Father, would You help them to turn away from those things, Father? Father, would You grant them true repentance this morning, Father, so that they could look more like Jesus, Father? God, we just humble ourselves before You and just realize, God, unless You do something, God, we can't do anything. And unless You move, Father, God, we can't change. So, Father, initiate change in Your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434 847 Four seven nine six. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.